Good morning and welcome again to our worship service. We're glad that you're here today. We're thankful for the opportunity to be together to worship God. And we want to welcome those of you who are visiting. As always, we encourage you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. We're thankful for the number of visitors that come our way each week. We hope that you feel welcome and that you want to be a part of the work here. I do want to mention the fact that uh, Bubba Davis is with us today. And Bubba had surgery about three to four weeks ago. And there was a very strong possibility that following his surgery, he would not be able to walk again. And so there were a lot of people praying on his behalf. He only had about a 10% chance of walking again. And so we believe in the effectiveness of prayer. And we're grateful that he's here today and we pray that God will continue to bless him and that he'll have a long and happy and fruitful life. We're going to be looking today in our study at the book of Haggai. And as we look at Haggai, we want to talk about getting back to the work of God. Haggai was one of the great prophets of God in the Old Testament. He began his prophecy in about 520 B.C. God's people had begun building the temple. The temple had been destroyed by the Babylonians. They began that work and then for whatever reason, they became apathetic or complacent and the temple lay in ruins for about 16 years or so. And so Haggai, along with the prophet Zechariah, was used by God to motivate his people to get back to work. And sometimes there's the need for us to be reminded to, to get back to work, to be involved in the work of God. And so in our study today, as we look at Haggai chapter 1, I want to begin by talking for a minute or two about the complacency of the people. And as you think about the complacency of the people and the context of the time in which Haggai was writing, let me just very briefly give you the background. I mentioned a moment ago that God's people had been taken into captivity. As a matter of fact, they spent 70 years in Babylonian captivity. God had warned his people repeatedly that because of their sin, they would be carried into a foreign land. And God lived up to that promise. Nebuchadnezzar took them into Babylonian captivity for about 70 years. The temple was destroyed. And so in about 539 B.C., Cyrus allowed God's people to return to their homeland. Cyrus, of course, was king of the Medo-Persian Empire. God's people were allowed to return to their native land and begin rebuilding the temple. And you can go back and read the book of Ezra, chapter 1. They began rebuilding that temple. And then, as I mentioned a moment ago, that work ceased. And so the temple lay in ruins. I think we need to just maybe consider for a minute or two the behavior of the people. As you think about the behavior of the people, listen to what Haggai said in chapter 1, verse 2. Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you? 
yourselves to dwell in your paneled or sealed houses and this temple to lie in ruins or to lie in waste. I think there were a couple of reasons why the temple was laying in waste or laying in ruins. First, I think that there was procrastination on the part of God's people. And really, the thrust of it was they were, they were waiting for, as we would say, just the right time to get back to work. If we're not careful, we can have that same attitude. I mean, here these people were. They had been allowed to return to their homeland. They'd begun building the temple of God, and then they get caught up in their own lives. We talk about procrastination. I would link to that the preoccupation of God's people. You see, we can get so consumed with our own daily activities and the things of life in general that God's work gets put on what we call the back burner. It happens a lot. It's not intentional. We just get so consumed with what we call day-to-day affairs We forget about the one we're serving. We forget about the cause for which we're serving. You remember Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. If we're not careful, we we can literally schedule God out of our busy lives. And so these people were, they were going back to work and back to business as usual and they had forgotten about the work of the temple of Almighty God. Now, as we think about the complacency of the people, it would be good for us to consider for a moment or two the command to the people. In verse 5, the prophet said, consider your ways. If you drop down and look at verse 7, again, consider your ways. First, there was the call for these people to take inventory, to take stock of where they stood. In other words, we would call it an evaluation. Consider your ways. Sometimes it's good for us individually to ask the question, where do I stand in relationship to the work of God? Not where does somebody else stand, but where do I stand? You remember Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, said, examine yourselves. There's nothing wrong with self-inventory. Nothing wrong with just taking stock, taking spiritual inventory of where we stand in relationship to the Word of God. When the prophet wrote... In about 520 B.C., he's saying to these people, look, you need to take inventory of your spiritual lives. Note what he says in verse 6. He said, you have sown much, but you bring in little. He said, you eat, but you don't have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. He said, you clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And then he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. What he's saying is, because of your inactivity, 
because of your spiritual complacency. You're really just spinning your wheels. And I think sometimes that's what happens to us. We live in a fast-paced, hectic society. And we're on the go from day to day. And sometimes we get so consumed with other interests that we forget about our own work in the kingdom of God. Where do I stand? Where do I stand in relationship to the work of Almighty God? I think a second question would be, where do we collectively stand in our work for Almighty God? Now, if you look at verse 5, you could take it individually, but also collectively. Because he uses the plural here. He said, consider your ways. In verse 7, again, consider your ways. We have to take inventory of not just where we are individually, but where we are collectively. We talk about the work here at Olive Branch. We are not a finished product by any sense of the imagination. But rather, there is work to do. There's always work to do. Our goal is to grow spiritually. Our intent is to become more mature in Christ Jesus. You see, Peter said, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Individually, I have to put forth an effort to grow. Collectively, we have to put forth an effort to grow and to be the kind of people that God would have us to be. It doesn't happen by accident. So the church has to be fed. Collectively, we're fed on Sunday, on Wednesday. But then individually, we have to feed ourselves, don't we? And then there is not just spiritual growth, but numerical growth. Numerical growth is a result, a byproduct of spiritual growth. It takes everybody working together, blending together, doing their part. You think about the temple of God. Here's this massive structure. It's, it's going to take a lot of effort, a lot of work. In order to build that temple, in order for it to be what God would have it to be, it was going to take a lot of people working together. Is that not the case here? If we grow, it's not going to be by accident. Now I understand that God ultimately is the one that gives growth. Paul said, I watered, or I planted, Apollos watered, but God is the one who gave the increase. So it's God who gives the increase. But we are his instruments. We are the ones who carry out his will. And so there is the call to take inventory, to take stock of where we are. The call for an evaluation. And I would, I would say this, that each and every one of us ought to just pause and reflect about where we are. And we talk about the overall work of the church. Where do you fit in? Where do I fit in? Where do I want to fit in? What can I do to make this a better church, a better congregation? 
If you see something that is deficient or you see an area that needs improvement, then by all means, take the lead. Do it. In Revelation chapters 2 and 3, if you look at the Lord's analysis of those seven congregations in Asia Minor, the Lord looked at each and every church. And the Bible says in Revelation chapter 2, that he is the one who searches the reins and hearts. We're fooling ourselves if, if we think God doesn't know where we stand individually and collectively. What we want to do is be a shining light for good in this community. And really, we want our influence to be global in nature. We want to do everything we can to make known the name of Christ, to lift high the banner of the cross of Christ. As Jesus said, we are to be the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. So there's the call for an evaluation. And then there's the call to motivation. God wanted these people to be motivated. Listen, if you would, to what he said in verse 8. God said through the prophet, go. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. God wanted these people to go back to work, didn't he? What is it God wants from us? He wants us to be busy, to be active, to be working, to be about his business. You remember Jesus said, and it was said of Jesus in Luke chapter 2, that he was about his father's business. Is that not what we're to be about? There are two things it's going to take. Number one, it's going to take haste on our part to accomplish the will of God. And by that, I mean, we have to understand the urgency of the work. We have only a limited amount of time here upon planet Earth. I don't know how long we have. But I know the psalmist said, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. We have to, we have to be wise in our time here on Earth, don't we? Jesus said, the night is coming when no one can work. So we've got to make haste. David said in 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 8, that the king's business, listen to him, the king's business requires haste. We're involved in the king's business, aren't we? We're serving King Jesus. We don't have time to waste. We've got to be busy and active and moving forward. Because you see, one day we'll stand before God. And he's going to ask us, what did you do with the time that I gave you here on planet Earth? We talk about stewardship. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, that that which is required of a steward is that a man be found faithful. We are stewards of the time that we have. So I want to ask you, how much time are you giving to the Lord? Do you see the urgency of the work at hand? It's going to take haste. And then secondly, it's going, to take, it's going to take some heart to accomplish the will of God. And by that I mean, my heart's got to be in this work. I was talking to somebody this past week. And we were talking about, we were talking about exercise. And I, I said to this gentleman, we typically find a way to do what we want to do, don't we? 
If exercise is a priority, then guess what? We're going to exercise. If study is a priority, then we're going to study. If our job is a priority, then when Monday morning comes around, we're going to be on the job. Same is true when it comes to the work of the church. If our love for God is what it ought to be, then our heart is going to be in the work. Sometimes I think we, we give God the scraps, don't we? We talk about table scraps. When I was a kid growing up, we had a dog. And our dog, and that dog was a beloved dog, she ate from our table. Now, she didn't get first pick, but she ate from our table. She ate the scraps. Sometimes, if we're not careful, we give God the scraps of our life. What does God want? He wants our best, doesn't he? If you read the book of Malachi, Malachi wrote some 450 years before Jesus came to earth. One of the problems that Malachi addressed in his prophecy, the people lacked heart in their giving. They were giving God the scraps. And so, We've got to put some heart into it. Paul said in the book of 2 Corinthians, if first there is a willing mind, if your heart's in it, then you'll seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. There is a, there's a third thing that I want to talk about for just a minute, and that is the compliance of the people. How do these people react to Haggai and Zechariah, encouraging them to get back to work, to get back to business with regard to the temple of Almighty God. First, there was submission on the part of God's people. In verse 12, the Bible tells us, look if you would at verse 12, that all the remnant of the people of God Obey, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared the presence of the Lord. Down in verse 14 the Bible says that the people came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts their God. So what did these people do? They got back to work didn't they? Here, here's Haggai the prophet. He's encouraging them. You need to go back to work. And what they do? They listened intently. They took stock of where they were and they went back to work. They obeyed the voice of Almighty God. What is it God wants from us? He wants us to be obedient, doesn't he? He wants us to be submissive. I think about Samuel in the long ago who said, speak, Lord, your servant hears. I think about Isaiah when the question was asked, whom shall we send? Who will go for us? Isaiah said, here am I, send me. These folks got busy. They were willing to get back to the work at hand. So not only were they submissive, but they had support. They had the support of whom? Of God. Look at verse 13. Haggai said that he was the Lord's messenger in the Lord's message. But here's what God said. I am with you. 
God was going to be with them in their work. Well, what about us? We talk about getting back to the work of God. We talk about being involved in the work of God. Whatever we do, wherever we go for his cause, what's the promise? Remember what Jesus said? And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. If we're out trying to share Jesus with our friends and neighbors and family members, is Jesus not there with us? If we're out trying to minister to people who are sick and suffering and hurting, is the Lord not with us? If we're not out trying to do what we can to be an influence for good in this community, is the Lord not with us? I assure you, He is. I think about Joshua who had the awesome responsibility of standing before God and becoming a leader of ancient Israel. Moses had died. And so God called upon Joshua to assume the leadership. And God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you in about verse 5. He went on to say, the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Think about that for a minute. Wherever we go in the name of God, the promise is he's going to be with us, isn't he? Now we've got to be submissive. We've got to be compliant to his will. But when we go out and begin executing the work of God and doing what we can for his cause. Let me tell you what. We have no greater ally than to know that our God is with us in everything we do, every step of the way. I want to close by encouraging you. I want to encourage you. If you're working and you're, and you're a hardworking servant, I want to encourage you, keep working. And I want to say, I appreciate you. I think that the elders would express their appreciation to you. I know they would. If you're here and you're not working, maybe you're on the sidelines. Listen, there's something for you to do. It may be that you see weaknesses. You, you see things that could be done better. You see things that need to be done. Let me encourage you. Identify what needs to be done and get busy. It might be that there's something that's going on and you say, you know what, I want to be a part of that. There's room for you. We need you. We need every single member, young or old. We need everybody working together, joining hands, building the work here. Why? Because it's a labor of love, isn't it? Look, I love the Lord. I love the Lord's church. I know you do. And I love the Lord's church in this community. And if the church is going to be what it ought to be, then it's going to take each and every one of us Joining hands, working together, building, constantly building. Are there setbacks and discouragements? Yes. Sometimes we get busy and then what happens? Our enthusiasm wanes and we've got to be reignited. That's what Haggai did. They needed somebody to light a fire under them. Sometimes that's what we need. In, in the field of athletics, you've got... Individuals and teams that sometimes need to be motivated. They've got to have a coach to get behind them and push them to light a fire under them. Sometimes that's what we need. We've got to understand we're involved in the greatest work on earth. It's the Lord's work. You think about the privilege and the opportunity of being a part of a business 
that is global. Think about that. This is a global effort. There's not a corporation on earth that compares to the work of the church. You think about all of the people that are a part of the body of Christ. The thousands upon thousands and thousands into the millions of people that are working together. But we all have that same common goal, don't we? We want to go to heaven and we want to take people with us. Now, I close by asking, where are you in the work? It might be the case that you're not a Christian. That you haven't begun your life in Christ. Could I encourage you to do that today? I want you to know that Jesus came to earth for you. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I want you to leave here today knowing there is a God who loves you. I want to encourage you. If you know God loves you and you haven't obeyed the gospel, I want to encourage you to do that today. You say, well, what do I need to do? Do what they did on Pentecost. The Bible says that Peter told them to repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Some 3,000 people did that on that occasion. And the Bible says the Lord added them to the church. And so they could begin doing what? They could begin working for the cause. Now maybe you're here today and maybe you need to get started working again. Maybe you'd like to have the prayers of the church on your behalf. We'd be happy to pray with you and for you. We want you to know that God wants you to be back where you need to be in His kingdom, working and serving, worshiping, active. You know, the Bible says, confess your faults one to another, pray one for another. We'd be happy to pray with you today as we stand and sing.